Thanks for tuning in to the Direct Access to Oxford Physical Therapy podcast, where we talk about your body, how it moves, and empowering you with the knowledge to manage and treat your pain or discomfort. You will also get an exclusive behind-the-scenes look at a successful private practice. You have the questions, and we have the answers. Now let's get moving. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Direct Access to Oxford Physical Therapy podcast. I'm your host, Matt Ernst. Your co-host, Allie. And we have a special, special guest joining us today, Sarah LaRoe. Sarah, welcome. Thank you. (laughs) Sarah, why don't you take us back to the early days and tell us when you first started with us at Oxford? Yeah, I don't think we've had you yet on our podcast. So introduce yourselves. Let everybody know who you are. I've been with Oxford for 10 years now, actually. Wow. Whole decade. (laughs) So June of 2011 was when I started my last clinical rotation in school, and that was with Oxford Physical Therapy. Nice. And I haven't left yet. (laughs) 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 I've stuck around. (laughs) Dave Feely. I still remember Dave was Sarah's CI. That was at our first Northern Kentucky office in Florence. Mm -hmm. And Sarah was so quiet and just like this perfect angel student that's so cute and uh, I remember still talking to Dave and uh, you know he said because we had a need we had a need coming up and he said I think Sarah would be a great fit I was like yeah I think she would too I haven't really talked a lot to her (laughs) so 10 years later Sarah's out of her shell still with us we love it (laughs) Sarah was begging us to do the podcast she just really wanted to be a featured guest this is really up my alley yeah so (laughs) this is perfect we didn't have to force her in the slightest (laughs) but I I remember back when uh when Sarah first came on and I tell this story a lot um but I remember Sarah uh in early on saying you know I really want to do pelvic floor I really want to do pelvic floor I can't remember my exact words but they were something like okay, let's do ortho for a year first. <laughs> Something like, like that. Let's get you started slowly. Exactly. And then we'll let you. Because it was still new back, like, you know, I don't want to say was. back we, then to age you guys. It's not as, we not as prevalent. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. I mean, 10 years ago, it's not like the problems weren't there. But, right. you know, right. the techniques and certainly there wasn't a lot, as many treatment options as there are now. And so uh, Sarah did a fantastic job in her first year, really took ortho and just understood it and was, you know, had awesome clinical reasoning skills and patient management skills and so I remember talking to her about a year later and she said you know I still want to do that pelvic floor thing and oh good for you (laughs) so we were looking and they're really I mean you want to talk about an underserved population I mean I think it still is today but Mm -hmm. gosh 10 years ago there was really nobody, right? When we first looked at it, I mean, there definitely wasn't anyone in Northern Kentucky. And if you've ever lived in Northern Kentucky, you know that you don't ever really want to cross the bridge into Ohio <laughs> if you don't have to. That seems to be and the so, thing amongst. <laughs> and so really, you had to go up into like the northern parts of the Cincinnati area in order to be able to even get treatment yeah. for it. So, you know, that would be potentially, you know, for some of our population in northern Kentucky that'd be like an hour to an hour and a half drive just yeah. for one treatment session yeah so take us back to kind of your training and how it all started with you treating this niche of pelvic floor so I took my first course in 2012 and I did that through the Herman and Wallace Pelvic Institute so essentially um, education classes in order to kind of expand off of your orthopedic skills in mm-hmm. order to um successfully treat and just learn um 
different things that needed to be done in order to treat different pelvic health conditions. So started with females. And so typically more of the urinary incontinence, prolapse, postpartum care. Mm -hmm. And then kind of as my caseload kind of took off, um, also ventured out into new diagnoses as well as treating the male population. Yeah. So we've had uh, Kathleen Novicki on as a guest, and you know Kathleen and Sarah are senior pelvic floor experts, and they are so versed in these topics. But it always surprises me. I'm sure patients and people listening out there are going to go, "Wait a minute, males? Males have pelvic floors?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So tell us about. I mean, I think we've talked a lot on previous episodes about um, you know female treatment, female diagnoses, things like that. But take us down the path a little bit. What do you help males with um, in terms of diagnosis? What are the symptoms? What does that look like? So typically for for the male population, um, the thing that I see most often is pain. Okay. So generalized pelvic pain. So that can be penile pain, testicular pain, um, rectal pain, Mm -hmm. and kind of everywhere in between. So Mm -hmm. typically kind of how they end up with me is that they typically go see either their primary care doctor or urologist because they have this pain, this new pain that Mm -hmm. hasn't gone away on its own. And so typically with different testing and if they rule out infection or maybe they were able to treat an infection and, you know, the antibiotic course took care of the actual infection but the pain they still have pain Mm -hmm. and so why is there still pain there and that's typically when they get referred on to physical therapy gotcha and um, I know that a lot of times you see some patients either before surgery or after surgery for prostate issues right Mm -hmm. so tell us a little bit about that maybe someone out there that has had that surgery or has a loved one under you know in the future gonna have Mm -hmm. that surgery so one of the um, the common difficulties that can happen after either prostate treatment or even after prostate surgery, so if the prostate has to be removed due to a potential kind of cancer diagnosis, is that they have difficulty controlling urination. Mm-hmm. And so the prostate also helps controlling urinary um urinary continence in addition to kind of the sphincter as well as the pelvic floor. And so when they go in and kind of essentially remove the prostate, not only are you removing one of the things that helps kind of maintain continence and maintain urinary control, but there's also a disruption to everything Mm -hmm. in there. So no matter what type of surgery you have, there's, you know, swelling, there's trauma to that area that unfortunately can cause kind of muscles to essentially shut off or to start to not function correctly. And so, whether it's um, before or after, it can be a matter of trying to kind of make sure that patients are aware of the pelvic floor muscles. So working on strengthening to only to, in order to help control urinary symptoms, but also kind of retrain the bladder. And so that can look like putting on a schedule. So timed voids in order to relearn how to um, essentially control their control urination and be able to um, gain a better understanding of how their bladder and urinating works now with their prostate removed. And so a lot of times it can be beneficial to come in prior to surgery. So that way they can, we can go ahead and start to learn how to control those muscles, how to contract those muscles properly. So that way they're going to be ahead of the ball game and already in a better place 
in post-surgery. So when a patient would come in before surgery, they're just learning like, okay, these are the muscles that I'm going to be able to work on after. They're just like knowing where it's at, what they're just like a first-hand look of what therapy is going to be like after Yeah, a lot surgery. of it is just education. So a lot of people don't know right. what's going to happen or what could potentially happen post-surgery. What are some things to look out for? Mm-hmm. What are some things to avoid? And also some gentle kind of exercises that can be done once they're cleared by their doctor. And who wouldn't want to just dip their toe in before they jump right in after surgery, huh? Exactly. Well, I think it's, um, you know... Uh, we talked a lot uh, last month about taking care of moms mm-hmm. and female pelvic health. Well, this month coming up is Father's Day. And mm-hmm. so everyone out there, think of your dads. You know, think of the males in your life. They got, obviously, Sarah taught us today. They have a pelvic floor. <laughs> <laughs> Spreading <laughs> but, knowledge. <laughs> you know, before surgery, I mean, we talk about educating yourselves before surgery, before you have knee surgery or mm-hmm. shoulder surgery. Mm-hmm. or You know, prostate surgery should be no different. Right. So. Right. Talk about, um, you know, a lot of people were probably thinking, well, um, my doctor never told me to go. Is that something that they have to wait to be told, uh, you know, to come to pelvic floor physical therapy for both male or female? Definitely not. Um, We are direct access. Exactly. (laughs) There you go. Perfect time (laughs) to mention. Matt got her to say it, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) So we don't need a doctor's prescription in order to come to physical therapy. And just like coming in, whether it was for... Um, your shoulder started bothering you while, you know, playing golf or your knee started bothering you while you're running, you know, the, the pelvic floor is a group of muscles. And as PTs, we specialize in the treatment of muscle and muscle function. So, you know, making sure that, you know, through a complete, you know, examination, then we're able to kind of determine, okay, yes, this is a muscular problem that we can help with, but also we can work with, with doctors and with other, um, practitioners in the medical community if needed in order to kind of make sure that the patient is taken care of right yeah even if a patient doesn't know that they can come straight to therapy when they get the prescription to come to like any therapy they can still choose to come to oxford correct yeah we love it and i think um you know god bless uh, the ladies and the women in the world because you guys are having (laughs) um annual uh exams and pelvic Mm -hmm. floor yep um I think it, I think they're more accustomed to thinking in that realm and maybe more comfortable even discussing it or having mm-hmm. an exam. So uh, for those that haven't met Sarah, obviously, on the podcast, you couldn't find a kinder, gentler, more caring therapist. Exactly. I mean, I have seen Sarah take patients that were totally resistant to the idea of even talking about pelvic right. floor problems. And a month later, they're so thankful that they came in. So... Um, can you tell our listeners out there, maybe some of the men or some of the people that are thinking, well, my, my father or grandfather or husband could benefit, but there's no way they'll come in and talk to you or let you examine their pelvic floor. Right. Mm-hmm. Take us through maybe some of the things that you've seen in the past, either experiences or tips or tricks that you use to yeah. kind of lower that anxiety. Yeah. How level. do you approach a guy who is like kind of wary about starting pelvic floor therapy? So I'm always you know, willing to answer any questions prior to coming in. And I think that can be the hardest part is actually getting people in the door. Yeah. Because once, once people are in the door and we're able to actually have a conversation, then I think they're, they're able to see that, you know, I do care and that I do want them to get better. Sure. But also, you know, some, 
pelvic floor conditions are a private conversation. So it's not common dinner time conversation yeah. or if you're sure. out with friends, whereas, you know, you might talk about, you know, going back to, you know, the knee, if you're training, you know, for some run, right. like, oh, my knee's really bothering me. Right. You know, that's, that's <laughs> something that might come up in conversation, yeah. but right. unfortunately, pelvic floor conditions are not. Right. And right. so it can be very isolating. Mm-hmm. And once you are actually, you know, all of my treatments are in a private treatment room. So mm-hmm. it's one-on-one, you know, and once they realize that someone else understands what they're going through and understands kind of just how it can limit quality of life, mm-hmm. then it really allows people to open up and come out of their shell. Because, you know, a lot of times it's, they've been kind of living alone for mm-hmm. so long and whether it whether it's pain or, you know. Function. Yeah. Dif- yeah. yeah. You know, not being able incontinence after prostate surgery. Mm-hmm. I mean, it limits what you feel comfortable doing right. and w- how comfortable you feel coming, you know, leaving your house yeah. or activities sure. with friends and family. And so once I feel like they they understand that, you know, I know where they're coming from and can help kind of guide them, hopefully help guide them back to, you know, a better quality of life, then usually they can be on board by that point. Yeah. Well, I just think it's fantastic. You know, one of the big things that we want to try to do in this podcast and the mission is patient education right. and, mm-hmm. and helping patients be better advocates for themselves and their loved ones. And, you know, I joke about it, but direct access, I think, is a huge, huge part of that because folks should know they have access to that. But really think these diagnoses are, um, you know, often not talked about, often not addressed. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of people out there that are uh, suffering and they have options. So, and did I mean, you hear the way that she just said that? Like, I feel like she cares about me the way she just talked about it. I'm telling you, I, I don't think Sarah's even killed a cicada. Oh, not and yet. <laughs> I have not killed a cicada, but my kids have killed a lot. Oh no! Well, they kind of deserve it. They're gross. <laughs> so, switching gears a little bit here, I know one of your hobbies is running, right? Used to be. Yeah. <laughs> well, she runs after her kids. Has, that is and, true. Yeah, runs after kids. So. Um, I think sometimes we talk a lot about the early stages of pelvic floor treatment and maybe Mm -hmm. some of the early interventions or when things have gotten really bad. But I'd like to talk a little bit about maybe the higher level functioning patient with pelvic Mm -hmm. floor issues or that return to function phase, maybe after pregnancy starting to run or Mm -hmm. things like that. And what kind of maybe challenges someone with a pelvic floor issue faces when it comes to getting back into a higher level activity like CrossFit or running, something Mm -hmm. like that? So with the pelvic floor, when you think of overall core stability, you can't you can't fully address core stabilization without the pelvic floor. Mm -hmm. So the pelvic floor is kind of that the bottom of your core and it should be addressed just like you are for any abdominal or, or low back or hip exercises because that pelvic floor really is that key component that unfortunately people don't think about <laughs> when yeah. it comes to the core stability and yeah. just whether it's CrossFit or um, returning to running, you know, those muscles are necessary and needed, but they're also a very small group of muscles. Mm-hmm. So um when I treat patients, it's a matter of, okay, we need to get the foundation of that pelvic floor turning on and activating correctly, but the pelvic floor doesn't work by itself. It has to work with your hips, with your abdominals, 
And so in order for you to return to any of those types of activities, it's really the when you're looking at core stabilization, the pelvic floor needs to have a piece in it. Yeah. Talk uh, maybe for a minute to the listener out there that thinks, well, I run really hard or I work out really hard and I'll get a little bit of urine leakage, but it's really not that bad and it doesn't affect me. Is there something they should be doing or considering now mm-hmm. before it gets quote unquote worse, worse or yeah. I need to wait for this to get too bad yeah. before I go see someone? Yep. So unfortunately, urinary leaking, whether small amounts with running or larger amounts, is is common but it's not normal so no matter what activity you're doing no matter what age that's not normal and so something can be done in order to to help with that prevent and treat correct so with you know if you were coming into physical therapy for kind of a knee issue we'll we'll go back to the the knee issue with running you know you really have to look the whole way up the chain so you have to Mm -hmm. look at your feet you have to look at the hips and so the same thing with with the pelvic floor is that you have to look all around that area because all of those muscle groups act together yeah yeah I think that's important and uh, you know again back to the patient advocacy standpoint I don't think any issue that we treat in the clinic is better served to wait until it gets worse. Correct. You know, whether it's whether we're talking about back pain first mm-hmm. onset or we're talking about pelvic floor or anything, the sooner we get to something, mm-hmm. the quicker we can help and the less hole you have to dig out of. Right. You know, it doesn't mean that someone needs to come in for, you know, multiple times a week for weeks and weeks on end. It could be a matter of just coming in a couple times, Mm -hmm. you know, and being educated on kind of home strengthening exercise program. And number one, just making sure that they're doing exercises correctly because they've done a lot of research where people think that they are kegeling or activating their pelvic floor correctly and they're not. So it's... Yeah, and if, I mean, if you are going to invest time and effort into it, you know, I think making sure that you're doing it properly, you mm-hmm. know, probably not going to hurt anything, but you're probably just not going to get much better. You're not going to get any value or benefit. So mm-hmm. don't waste your time, you know, right. invest a little bit of time in the front of it and then you'll know that you're doing things properly, I think mm-hmm. would be good advice. And there's a lot of, you know, especially with COVID happening, there's a lot of people doing home exercise programs or home workouts mm-hmm. and, and trainers. And there's a lot of patients that I will see alongside them doing another exercise program. You know, there's there's a lot of educational materials out there, yeah. but sometimes you a lot of times you just need that person kind of walking beside it with you, making sure that you're doing everything correctly and making sure there's not something else going on that's limiting your progress or limiting your improvement. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Are some of those questions something a patient could use the bee's visit for? Of course. Yeah, anytime. Anytime we're open, we are willing to help with that. (laughs) So um, the other kind of group of um, people out there I wanted to speak to that uh, often tune into our podcast would be maybe our PT students. So take us back, um, you know, you had this passion day one. I mean, as I said, I remember, you know, talking to you about it. Um, take us back to the, you know, early days when you were first learning this and, you know, what did it look like and how did you integrate this into your normal orthopedic practice and kind of what were the steps you took to get to be this expert you are here in front of us today? So 
like I said prior, I went through kind of the Herman and Wallace Pelvic Institute, and they ha- essentially have coursework for um, their their pelvic floor kind of training program. And so it's meant to be where you, you take a course and then you put it into action mm-hmm. and get experience doing doing that. And so then a little at a time. A little it's at a time. Like you're learning exactly. these in a vacuum. You want to learn a course, apply it take the next level course, apply that. Correct. Yep. So it's it's done in stages and, you know, the way they set it up is, is just that, you know, Mm -hmm. they, um, start you with, with one particular kind of gender or diagnosis and then kind of progress from there. Mm -hmm. And what role does your orthopedic background have still in treating pelvic floor? I used a lot. (laughs) I use a lot (laughs) of my orthopedic background. So, Whether, you know, mobilizations, I still use a lot of cupping, a lot of needling. Uh Um, I use a significant portion of my orthopedic skills, and I feel like it's so important. Intertwined, right? Yes, I mean, you can't really separate one from from the other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think that's valuable information for students that might be thinking that. What we've really gone to with any of our pelvic floor therapists is we, we call them combo. You know, they do pelvic floor and ortho for that reason because... You know, we don't want to eliminate that orthopedic knowledge base, and it's so integral to treating the pelvic floor. And I think that that I talk about that a lot is that I'm very thankful for my orthopedic background because mm-hmm. I feel like it has really aided in my ability to to continue to treat even pelvic floor conditions because it's yeah. like you said they're so intertwined. But I feel like having that background has really helped me to be able to treat you know, the majority of the patients that I treat right now. Fantastic. Well, Sarah, anything else you want to share with our listeners out there or the audience? (laughs) Put me on the spot. (laughs) 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 No, just that that we're here. And so, and I feel like that is something, you know, that you don't get a lot of is that we are here to help. And even if it's, you know, general orthopedic conditions or especially with the pelvic health is that, I'm always here to answer any questions. And so sometimes it's just a matter of um, meeting an idea of what's going to happen and meeting me over the phone prior to coming in. Yeah. But, you know, I, I do that a lot and I'm happy to. So yeah. utilize the tools that you're yep. given. Yeah. I, again, I just encourage folks, be your own advocate, yep. be advocate for those that you love. And, you know, we're here with options for treatment mm-hmm. for these conditions. So awesome. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Thanks Sarah for being our guest. Thanks Sarah. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. You can find us online at oxfordphysicaltherapy.com. And you can also find us on our social media pages like Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and TikTok. Remember, you do not need a doctor's referral to receive physical therapy in the state of Ohio and Kentucky, where we offer double the care for less than half the cost. You can schedule appointments online or stop into any center for a free screen what we like to call a bee visit. Please write a review, send us a comment or message on our social media platforms. And until next time, keep it moving.